Amen. Thank you, Robin. Great thought. Great song. Good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to John chapter 15. I hope you're somebody who prays. Prayer changes things, starting with us. John chapter 15, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 794. Page 794. Uh, you know, when you're in a country like Nicaragua, it makes you appreciate uh, the freedoms we have in America. And I recognize that many of our freedoms are under assault by the uh, political left. And I recognize that, but uh, when I was in Nicaragua, there was uh, a religious leader who had complained against the government, and uh, when I was there, they had two city blocks surrounded with their military, probably 50 soldiers in riot gear, and another 15 or 20 Nicaraguan police officers who were armed, uh, just intimidating him to not come out of the building. Uh, Listen, uh, America's got some issues, but thank God for the freedoms we do have. For soldiers and families of soldiers who sacrifice so we could have them. And for people in times like today, who though we're not actively at war, uh, stand up and fight in our culture for what's right. Amen? And uh, I'm glad to be back on American soil. For several months on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about things Jesus said exclusively to his disciples. Uh, we're near the end of this series. I had 31 messages, thoughts planned that I planned months ago. I've been praying and thinking about what to do next. I'm kind of leaning toward a series on great thoughts written with simple words, but that will be for another time should Christ tarry and give us breath and life to continue. Uh, as you should well know by now, if you've been here uh, much at all in the last few months, Jesus at times spoke exclusively to unsaved people. Some of them listened because they were interested in what he had to say. Others in listened because they wanted to find fault. Most of the time, Jesus spoke to a crowd that was a mixture of those who did not believe and those who were his disciples, but on occasion, Jesus spoke exclusively to his disciples. And though he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and though he did spend some of his time exclusively trying to reach people who are not yet saved, who are not yet people of faith, he also spent some of his time speaking just to his disciples to help them and to prepare them. And as a disciple of Jesus, I want to know what he has to say to me. Hebrews says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though everything else changes, Christ never changes. And so you can be very sure that if the circumstances were the same, whatever it is He said then, He would say still uh, today. Last Sunday morning, we talked about Jesus promising His disciples to send them another comforter. He had been their comforter while He was with them, and He promised them to send the Holy Spirit who would comfort them when He returned to the right hand of His Father. And we rejoiced in the comfort of the Holy Spirit that He makes available to every true believer. And we challenged one another to be yielded to the Spirit so that we could fully experience His comfort instead of sinning against Him and hindering the comfort He wants to give us. And we also reminded us that Christ comforts us through His Holy Spirit, not just so that we would be comforted, but also so that you and I could comfort others 
with the comfort that we have from God. Which brings us to our thought uh, this morning, and we return to the same particular time frame. Christ last night, when He was speaking to His true apostles, and uh, He's going to speak about fruitfulness. Uh, I grew up on a fruit farm in Michigan. When I was a kid there, it was a family farm, and it was a farm that had been in my mother's family, that land since 1828, since before Michigan was even a state. And when my grandfather came home from World War I, he planted a bunch of apple trees, which were very large uh, by the time I became conscious of what was going on around me. When I was a kid, we had, I don't know, eight or ten acres of apples, maybe an acre or acre and a half of peaches, an acre of pears. And so fruitfulness and fruit trees were an important aspect of that work. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but at this particular time, uh, farmers, they buy small fruit trees. The stalk is maybe about the size of your pinky. Uh, they're about two years old, and farmers buy them, and they plant them in the ground, and for two to three years, they don't get anything. They just water them. They trim the weeds around them. Uh, they sometimes will wrap this plastic wrap around the bottom so that uh, rabbits don't chew the bark. Uh, and then, if everything goes well, that tree begins to produce fruit. First, just a couple of pieces per year until ultimately that fruit tree produces uh, a couple of bushels of fruit. But when a fruit tree on a fruit farm either never produces fruit or stops producing fruit, uh, that tree is taken out and burned by farmers. Uh, Jesus, on his last night, spoke with his disciples about fruitfulness. He wanted them to be fruitful. He wanted them to produce as much fruit in their life as God had made them capable of producing. Did you know that if you're a disciple of Jesus here this morning, that he wants you to be a fruitful disciple? Did you know that he has a method, a means of helping us become more fruitful. Now, if you're here this morning, chances are pretty good that you want to be fruitful in your life. And so if you want to be fruitful in your life, I think it's good for us to pay careful attention to what Jesus taught about fruitfulness. If you're able to stand, if you'd stand this morning, please, in honor of the Word of God, what did Jesus have to say exclusively to His disciples? Abide in me to be more fruitful. Abide in me to be more fruitful. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except ye abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Thank you. you. Might be seated. 
Some would call what we just read a parable, others would call it an allegory, and uh, I think myself it is an allegory after reading the standard definitions of those terms, but I am sure of this, Jesus is a true vine and His Father is the husbandman, and it doesn't matter what sort of a title or name we assign to this section of the Scriptures. Now, whether you're aware of this or not, there are seven great sayings recorded in the Gospel of John where Jesus finished the sentence that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush way back in Exodus chapter 3 when He was calling Moses to lead His people out of Egyptian slavery. You may remember that Moses asked God, he said, who should I say sent me? They'll surely ask the name of the God who has sent me. And God answered him, Tell them, I am hath sent thee. I am that I am. Now you and I would look at that as an incomplete sentence, and Jesus actually finished that sentence as recorded seven times in the book of John when He said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, 7, He said, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, 11, He said, I am the good shepherd. In John 11.25, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14.6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here, as He teaches His disciples on His last night with them, He begins by saying in verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine, and according to verse 1, He says, My Father is the husbandman. His father took care of him and he orchestrated Christ's life through its beginning to its end. Now at times, Jesus of Nazareth manifested his deity. He was 100% God. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. And at other times, he manifested his humanity. He was also 100% man. And if we look at the life of Jesus of Nazareth, what we would find was that Satan on several occasions tried to take his life prematurely. It all started when he was still in the womb of his mother Mary. When Satan moved the Roman emperor to cause people to return to the city of their birth. And Joseph and Mary, when she was nine months pregnant, had to travel miles. And that was Satan's attempt to stop the Messiah. And through his life, all the way to the very end, he tried to take Christ's life prematurely. But because his father was the husbandman, Jesus finished his course at Calvary like the plan was all along. Nothing happened in his life. That was contrary to the plan of his father. His father was the husbandman. Now, this statement of his own deity and of his father's care becomes the launching pad for this allegory about fruitfulness. You see, the theme of this allegory is the fruitfulness of believers. Jesus is not speaking to the crowd. He's not speaking to a unbelievers exclusively. He's speaking to believers. This allegory has nothing to do with salvation as he speaks with his disciples. But before we go through the allegory, it is good to understand a couple of things about it. Notice in verse 31 of chapter 14, he says there, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. 
And so at the end of chapter 14, what Jesus was saying to His disciples ended. And at that point, He and His disciples left the upper room and they walked outside of the city of Jerusalem and they went down the valley of Kidron just outside the city of Jerusalem up toward the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we know today from history is not just that the moon was full because it was Passover and so it was a well-lit night sky. We also know that right outside the walls of Jerusalem and on the way through the Kidron Valley up to the Garden of Gethsemane, on both sides of that trail were vineyards. And so when Jesus teaches them this allegory, in the full moonlit sky on either side of the road on which they walked were vineyards that the people had planted. Jesus is the true vine. His Father is the husbandman. And notice in the beginning of verse 5, He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And so in this allegory, we have everything interpreted for us. Jesus is the true vine. His Father is the husbandman. And the disciples, His disciples, are the branches. Now most of the Scripture is simply meant to be taken at face value in its natural historical context. That's the way Jesus and all the apostles in the New Testament treated the Old Testament. And that's why we treat the Bible the way we treat the Bible. But on occasion, the Bible does use allegory. It does use hyperbole. It does use symbols. And on some occasions like this, uh, the symbols are interpreted for us, Jesus is a true vine, His Father is a husbandman, and His disciples are the branches. Now notice, branches that fail to produce fruit are taken away by the husbandman. Notice as verse 2 begins, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Notice not some branches. Every branch. If you are a disciple of Jesus, and you are not a fruit bearer, the husbandman will take you away. By the way, uh, fruit is mentioned six times in this short allegory. And remember, the theme of this allegory is not salvation. It is fruit bearing. And fruit in this context speaks about people we've won to Christ. It speaks about people, including those in our own immediate family we've influenced for righteousness. Fruit is speaking God's truth boldly. Fruit in this context is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a believer. The love and the joy and the peace, the long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance that God's Spirit produces in us. Fruitfulness and fruit in this context is you and I serving and ministering to others for Christ's sake, in Christ's name. And He says, if you are a branch, if you are a disciple and you do not produce fruit, he will take you away. He will not take your salvation. Salvation is eternal through Christ Jesus. But He will take you away from usefulness. He will take you away from being close to the vine. In fact, in some cases, like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, He actually took away someone's life. They were true disciples, but they sinned in such a manner that God just said, you know what, I'm not going to have you bring that kind of reproach on my name. I'm done with you. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, 
not just as a husbandman take them away. Notice how people respond to branches that don't bear fruit in verse 6. It says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Notice, men gather them, not the husbandmen. This is not referring to salvation, this is fruit bearing. You see, not only if you decide to be a branch that doesn't bear fruit, will you be taken away from fruitfulness and taken away from being close to the vine, you also will be disrespected by people around you. Listen, all of us know people uh, who were genuine believers as far as you can tell, and yet they lived in such a manner, they lived just like those who were not believers, and they had no respect. Lots of Bible example of that. He was a true believer. He lived in such a hellish way that even his family laughed when he tried to give them spiritual advice. All of us, if you've been around the church and a biblical church for any length of time, could name the names of people, believers, who for a time were fruitful. And for whatever reason that was good to them, they decided to go away from fruitfulness and go away from Christ and go away from the things of God. And, and today they are not bearing fruit for the Lord. I, I remember many years ago, there was a young man in my youth ministry. He was literally one of the best singers in the entire church at 16 or 17 uh, years of age. Just phenomenally gifted by God. But he decided that he was not going to live for Christ that he was not only just not going to live for Christ, he was going to live in obvious, presumptuous rebellion against Christ, and he lost his voice. That's what he's talking about here. Don't get mad at me for telling you how Christ treats branches that don't bear fruit. Don't, don't, if, if what I just said to you bothers you, you're bothered at the wrong person. I, I mean, that's as clear as clear can be. If you want to go someplace where they teach and preach the Bible, this is a great place for you. If you want to go someplace where they tell you what you want to hear, all kinds of places will do that. So this morning, if you're a disciple of Jesus, uh, and you're not producing fruit in your life, I hope you'll change. I hope you'll decide to be a fruitful branch. One who still serves and follows Christ. But notice it is not just that every branch who doesn't produce fruit is taken away by the husbandman. Notice that every branch that produces fruit is purged by the husbandman to produce even more. Notice the end of verse 2. It says, And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now there are a lot of ways that God looks at life differently than you and I do. From the way you and I look at life, we look at life like, Hey, if someone is being a faithful follower of Jesus and they're being fruitful spiritually in their life and they're uh, influencing people to get saved and influencing people to do what's right and they're boldly standing for truth in the circle of their life and they're manifesting the fruit of the Spirit uh, in their life and they're doing some kind of ministry and serving Christ in our way of thinking, we think we should make that way of that person easy. 
But in God's way of thinking, He says, you know what? It's a wonderful thing. They're producing some fruit. But if I purge them, if I prune them, they'll produce even more fruit. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Keep your hand there. We'll be back in a minute. I think all of us at times are challenged by, you know, people would say it like this, why do bad things happen to good people? In reality, the better question is, why do good things happen to any of us? But from our perspective, we, we look at it and say, why, why do bad things happen to good people? And one of the answers to that question is in our text. It's in our subject. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, 67. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Do you know one of the reasons affliction comes in your life? To help you obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey listen, an easy path never made anyone strong. Notice what he says in verse 71 of the same chapter in Psalms. He said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Have you ever stopped to think that the times of greatest learning in your life were the times when it was dark? Most of us are not very teachable when all is well. But God allows affliction in the life of His disciples to help them learn to obey Him, to help them learn and to grow, and to help us. Go back to our text, because He gives us another reason why we get afflicted as faithful disciples, as fruit-bearing disciples. Notice, He says, every branch, in verse 2, that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Fruitful disciples are purged and pruned by God the Father, the husbandman of the true vine, and the branches on the vine, so that they would produce even more fruit than they're producing now. Uh, in a fruit orchard, one of the things you do every winter is you prune the trees. Uh, this, this time I think uh, they have about 1,100 trees. And you go through one tree at a time and you have uh, a loppers and a saw and you cut out these things that are called suckers that grow every year. It's a long straight branch with nothing other branches on it because it sucks the life out of the tree but doesn't produce any fruit. You cut those off. And you go and you look at all the other branches of a fruit-bearing tree and you as the husband of that apple tree, you say, well, you know if that branch keeps growing that way, it's going to break under the weight. I'm going to clip that one. Well, that's got too much going right there. If I don't cut something out of that, it's later going to break because it won't be able to hold the load. And God says here that every branch that is bearing fruit, He prunes it, He purges it, so that it will bring forth even more fruit. So how does God prune His branches? Of course, through affliction, but He also purges us through His Word. He says you've been purified your souls in obeying the truth. And 1 Peter 1.12, in verse 3 here of chapter 15, he says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
Jesus later that night would pray, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. See, God purges and prunes His people, fruitful disciples, through His Word. He prunes and helps us through our afflictions. You know, there is a healthy way we can look at what we feel when we feel guilty. How do you know the difference in unhealthy guilt and healthy conviction from God to change something that ought to be changed? How do you know? God's Word. How do we sort through unhealthy thoughts and unhealthy plans? How do we sort through things that seem good to us or seem right to us or seem right in our sight but might not be right in God's sight? How do we sort through those? God's Word. How do we sort out unhealthy feelings? How do we sort out unhealthy affections? How do we know what to allow to linger in our mind and what to allow to linger in our heart that will be long-term good or bad for us? How do we know? We know from the words of God. And to abide in Christ is constant communion with Him. And that's what he says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. The normal Christian life should be a fruit-bearing life. Whether you're here today and you're 12 and you're a Christian, or whether you're here today and you're 92 and a Christian, you should be bearing fruit. In the circle of your life, if you're bearing fruit, there will be some people you're influencing to get saved. There will be some people you're influencing to do what's right in God's sight. There will be times when you're speaking, standing the truth boldly in your circle. There will be times when you manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life and your life will flow from inside you love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness and temperance in your life. will have some ministry. It will have some service that you do for the people of God and the things of God. That should be the normal Christian life. And the Lord wants to produce more fruit in the life of every disciple. Amen. And what I'd like to do this morning is then just spend a few minutes applying and making observations from this allegory spoken exclusively to the disciples. First, please turn back just a couple pages to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Here's number one. To become a branch, to be a part of the vine that is Jesus Christ, you must choose Christ. To become a branch, to be part of the vine that is Jesus Christ, you must choose Christ. Notice what Jesus says here in John chapter 10 in verse 9. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And should go in and out and find pasture. Before we go on, if you want to enter in and be saved, what do you do? You go in through the door that is Jesus Christ. Verse 10, he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. By the way, it isn't our thought this morning, but I want you to know that when Christ saved you and has given us instructions on how to live, it doesn't make your life worse. It makes your life more abundant. Notice in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Christ is the good shepherd. He is the door. People are saved to become one of God's sheep by entering the door. Christ is the door of the sheep. He is the only way to become one of God's children and have the special and exclusive care and protection of the shepherd. You see, until you as an individual choose Christ, you are not yet a branch. You are not saved, and you cannot be fruitful for Christ. Now hear me when I say, you can still do some good in this world even if you're unsaved. You can still do some good in your family even if you're unsaved because the Creator who made you in His own image, He's good. And so that even unsaved people have some remnants of the good and good Creator who made us, but when it comes to being fruitful for Christ, you must first become a branch. Hear me when I say everyone needs Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, uh, I was raised in church. I've never really done anything that bad. You need Jesus Christ. You say, well, you know what? You don't understand how much success I have in my workplace. You don't understand how much charity I have done in our world. You, you don't understand the kind of good person I've been to, to my family. You're right, I don't. And I'm glad you're a good person rather than a bad person. But I want you to understand, every person is a sinner. God was very clear when He said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God was very clear when He said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus went on to say, If a man looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart, he's committed adultery already in his heart. That's quite clear. God was quite clear when He said, Thou shalt not steal. Of course, unless it's a computer program or unless it's some music. I'm kidding. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, we call people that steal thieves. It's a sin. Uh, he said, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. These are just the most basic moral commandments of our Creator. Listen, there's not a person here who hasn't lied. In fact, if I were to give you a piece of paper and a pen and say, write down how many times you've lied, you probably wouldn't even be able to guess a number that was within the nearest thousand. Everybody needs Christ. Everybody needs the Good Shepherd. Everybody needs to come in through the door. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Say, Brother Wally, I, I, I've been a Baptist for 30 years. So? Listen, some of the Baptists I've known have been the meanest people I've ever met. I didn't say some of the saved people I know have been the meanest people I've ever met. I said some of the Baptists I've met have been the meanest people I've ever met. Amen. Most per people, the average person on our globe are in some way trusting their own goodness or trusting their religion for eternal life. Jesus Christ is the door. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. And I don't care how much you argue about how good you are. You need Jesus and you need to be born again. And if you're not, you're not a branch. I can't think of a better day to be saved than today. 
If you're not yet saved, if you're not yet a branch, if you're not yet in Christ, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I, I would to God that when we have an invitation in just a few moments that you would come down an aisle and call upon the Lord Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to be saved. But He will not force His way in your life. He will simply call you to repentance and faith. And you'll say yes or no. But not just to become a branch, to be part of the vine that is Christ. We must choose Christ. Secondly, if you go back to John chapter 15. Secondly, this morning, the key to being a Christian who bears fruit is abiding in Christ. The key to being a Christian who bears fruit is abiding in Christ. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. The key to being a Christian who bears fruit is abiding in Christ. I don't know if you picked up on this, but there were three levels of fruit bearing in this allegory. Remember in verse 2, there were branches that were producing fruit. And then notice at the end of verse 2, remember, he that purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. So there's fruit bearing, then there's more fruit bearing, and then notice in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. There's fruit, there's more fruit, there's much fruit. There's a branch bearing fruit, there's a branch who's being purged, pruned, so they bring forth more fruit, and then there's a pruned branch who abides in Christ that brings forth much fruit. See, believers sometimes don't seriously take seriously enough the importance of staying close to Christ, abiding in Him. By the way, if I'm abiding in my house, I'm in the house. <laughs> if you abide in Christ, you are close to Him. I don't care where you are, who you are, or where you've been, God wants close communion, close fellowship with you. He wants you to be able to freely speak to Him. He wants to freely be able to speak to you. There's nothing we hide from God anyway. We don't pray to inform God. We don't confess so He knows what's going on in our life. We pray and we confess because it's good for you and I to be honest with ourselves and it's good for you and I to be honest and transparent with our Creator. And even though it's good for us, it's one of the most difficult things that any of us do. Are you close to Christ? If you're not close to Christ this morning and you used to be close to Christ, guess who moved? Believers who are abiding in Christ are believers who have prayer each day and take time in God's Word. Believers who are abiding in Christ are believers who highly value and are committed to one of the Lord's churches because He highly values and loves His church. Believers who are abiding in Christ are believers who do everything they can to keep their heart and their mind clean and right with God. Believers who are abiding in Christ are believers who care about the things Christ cares most about. Believers who are abiding in Christ are believers who care more about their children's spiritual life and character than they care about their children's success and popularity. Are you a believer who is abiding in Christ? Listen, 
If you are not a believer who is abiding in Christ, it is not Christ who is hindering you. It is you who does not want to be close. I mean, James said, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. The Old Testament, God says to Israel, turn unto me, and I will turn unto you. Listen, if you're not close today to God, it's not God's fault. His Spirit in us can be quenched. It can be resisted. It can be grieved by our life choices, causing us to not be close to Christ, though He never leaves us or forsakes us. And if that happens in your life, what happens is you and I have less and less awareness of God in our life. You and I will have less and less of the blessings that He wants to bring in our life, but will not force into our life. I know, every believer is positionally in Christ. But when it comes to what we possess now, we don't now possess everything we will one day possess in heaven. And you must abide in Christ to receive all the benefits He wants to give us today. Let me ask you this morning, are you a believer who abides in Christ? You choose how to live your life. God made us free. And God chooses the consequences of what we choose. You cannot be close to God and love this world. You cannot be close to God and live in obvious, presumptuous sins. You cannot produce the fruit Christ wants to produce in your life if you refuse to abide in Him. This morning, if you are a branch, if you're a disciple, would you decide to abide in Christ? Would you decide to be close to Him? Listen, the things that are hindering you from being close to God, they may be different from the things that hinder me. Uh, 38 years ago when I got saved as a 24-year-old man, there were a lot of things that were hindering me from being close to God. But those have long been set aside. And there are new things that hinder me from being close to God. I'm not trying to get you to live like me. I'm trying to give like God, get you to live like God wants you to live. Because He wants to be close to you. But you must decide to take your next spiritual steps. Which gets us to our third thing, the kind of fruit Christ wants to bear in life and ministry can only be produced by Him in us. And verse 5 closes out, without me, ye can do, what's that next word? Nothing. Nothing. Our flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. Our flesh cannot produce the best versions of love and joy and peace and Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meek, or te temperance. God produces those in the life of those who are yielded to Him. Believers who choose to abide in Christ, who choose to stay close to Him. You say, I, I, I want to love my spouse more. I, I, I want to love my children more. I, I want to have more affection for the people in the circle of my life. I want to care more about souls. Draw nigh to Christ. His Spirit produces those things in us. They will not come out of your flesh nor mine. Our flesh cannot bring more people to Christ. Our flesh cannot influence others for righteousness. Our flesh can win people to ourselves. Our flesh can produce external righteousness in others. But our flesh cannot change a heart. Our flesh can speak loudly and brashly. But our flesh cannot have true spiritual boldness. 
Hear me when I say, if you ever come to Bible Baptist Church and feel from your heart that something is speaking to your heart and saying, listen to that man, what he's saying is right, understand, that cannot come out of me. I am a sinner just like you do. I am not more worthy than you to stand here. I stand here simply because God has called and gifted me to do what I'm doing this morning. And it is God that does anything that gets done around here. Our flesh is not interested in doing ministry for Christ's name or Christ's sake. Our flesh is only interested in doing ministry for our sake. The Spirit of God working in a believer doesn't care whether we get credit. If you care whether you were thanked, do you care whether you got credit? That wasn't God's Spirit. Say, Brother Wally, do you care if you get credit? Sometimes. That's not God's Spirit. You see, when we are yielded and we are close to God, we don't care if other people notice or whether other people appreciate it because we know that God in His own time will reward everything that is rightfully needed to be rewarded. By the way, if you're here and you're a member of Bible Baptist Church I, uh, and you don't serve here, I, I pray God would stir your heart Stir your heart to do something. Stir your heart to do something. There's not a member of Bible Baptist Church that can't do something in the work of God for Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're a member of Bible Baptist Church and you're serving and doing something, I would to God that your motive and your desire for what you do and why you do it would grow and become higher and deeper and bigger and greater because drawing nigh to God is a wonderful experience. Which gets us to our last thing this morning, number four. Branches producing the most fruit have the best prayer life and bring the most glory to God. So who do you think you are? I'm just somebody telling you what Jesus said. I get it. Most people don't want to hear it. It's so much easier to have an idol Jesus. I-D-O-L. Where you just make Jesus up who He is, whoever you think He is. It's much more difficult to embrace the real Jesus as He has explained and revealed Himself to us. Notice what He says about the prayer life of those who abide in verse 7. If ye abide in Me, My words abide in you. Ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Well, there's a great promise. Notice in verse 8, Herein is My Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall you be My disciples. You see, abiding in Christ helps your prayer life. And when you have been a fruitful branch who's yielded to the pruning to produce more fruit, who's decided that you're going to stay close to God so that you might produce much fruit, understand that is the life that brings the most glory to God. Now any disciple who understands the vast resources of our Creator wants to be an effective prayer. I don't know about you, but what I want for my prayer life, I want to have a deep connection to God and I want to pray in God's will and I want my prayers to be effective. I want my prayers to be a delight to my Father. I think you do too. Which means you're going to need to abide in Him. 
Hey, I'm not discounting the fact that a casual, careless disciple of Jesus in a desperate moment can't call out to God and have God hear them because we have a loving Father. God hears and God does according to His love and mercy and grace. But if you are a disciple who abides in Christ, you have special prayer promises. I'm not trying to get you to pray, Dear God, I've done this and I've done that. Would you do this? I don't think you should ever pray that way. Ever. I never go to God and say, God, uh, you know, I, I gave up being an engineer to be a pastor. Would you do this? Listen, that's a filthy rag. But lots of times I go to God and say, God, you're good. And God, you said you would do exceedingly above all I ask or think. God, you said, call unto me and I'll answer thee. And I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God, you said the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he would. And oh God, turn the heart of that person to Christ. Oh God, turn the heart of that you fill in the blank. That's the way I want to be able to pray. And that is available to every branch. If you are a branch who is fruitful, who yielded to the pruning of our God to produce more fruit, who decided to abide in Christ to produce much fruit, you have a special prayer promise. Amen? And you have the opportunity to bring more glory to God. If you quietly stand.